Last week was the Super Bowl. Did anyone get to watch it? You guys watched it? Yeah, I kept seeing on Facebook, everyone was like, <laughs> but it was really neat. I didn't even realize that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were, were in it. Um, and it was like, I think the first time that they've ever been to the Super Bowl, maybe. And first time they've ever won it. Sorry, Kelsey. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I always wondered that, like, you know, when people are there on the, on the field, it's just kind of the people that have, you know, you're in the camera and everyone's, you're, you're, you're viewing it from down on the field after, after the big win and the confetti cannons are going crazy and everyone's just like going nuts. And it's like, you're just sitting there going, man, what would it be like to be there? Like, what would it feel like to work your entire life from the time that you were a, ch- a child to up through, you know, coming up through peewees and then you're, you know, in junior high and then high school and then you, you're like doing really, really, really good in high school. You get drafted, or not drafted, but you get uh, recruited by college and you go all the way up into the pros and you, you mate, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm here. And then now you've been working your, your pro life up, up until this point, like uh, for a few years or so, and just working hard, the pressure is on. And all of a sudden you're like there on the field going, wow, I've reached the top. And you go home you wake up the next morning, what would you feel like? Like, well, gotta go get my coffee. What would it even feel like? Like the next day, emotionally, after, you've, after you, that's happened. <clears throat> I mean, we, we all have some of those similar experiences. Not like winning a Super Bowl, but we go and have these mountaintop experiences. We, we go to, to summer camp or we go and have this great retreat or we go and do, do, go and do something amazing. I wouldn't have a family, like a family vacation, like go on a cruise, right? And go cruise around and, and you know, dri- drive in the Jeep and just have this amazing experience. And you come home and like, well, back to the grind, back to work. And sometimes you're like, wow, I need a vacation from my, from my vacation, because it was so busy. But I remember just going back, back in the days of, of the, summer, the summer camp that I was a part of as a junior higher and high schooler. And then I worked at the summer camp. And then I went back as a youth leader later on, even as a youth pastor and as a volunteer to the, to the summer camps called Centrifuge. And I love Centrifuge. I love summer camp. Absolutely love it. Still love it. That's why I just joined, I just joined the board of Temple Hills Camp, our, our denomination camp. Um, so excited. I just love, I love camp. And I always remember like going to these, you know, week-long camps and it was so exciting, so much fun. And then at the end of the week, we'd come home and it was like this amazing mountaintop experience where like, I've been, you know, I'm in prayer every single morning out in the beautiful woods. I'm worshiping him every single night and morning, going and having Bible studies and playing games with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. There's super cute girls there, you know, and then I come home and it's like this huge, like, blech, back to the grind, back to school, or back to temptations. And the enemy always likes to do that. Like, times of difficulty tend to follow times of glory, of excitement. Is it any wonder why Jesus gave us an example to, to follow or to emulate? Because he also experienced this same spiritual reality by being led out into the wilderness after his baptism. After this mountaintop experience, sort of riverbed experience, but this amazing like mountaintop spiritual experience, 
and then being led immediately into the wilderness to be tempted. This is no coincidence. Um, this is how, how Luke transitions into Jesus's ministry in his, in his narrative. It's um, so like we've been talking about, the, all these things uh, tie together all the way back to his baptism, to his voice, to the, the voice from heaven, um, to his genealogy, and then now into the, the account of his temptation. Um, and, it's, it's, and through all of this, through his temptation, through his identity, being, being, being led up these, last, these first few chapters, uh, being led up into this, what he's trying to tell us is, is that, and the point of this morning is when I'm tempted, I remember God descended, I'm defended. This is the, the whole concept of what we're getting at this morning is that when I'm tempted, I need to remember that God descended, became a man, was born as, as, a, as a baby to the Virgin Mary and grew up. And everything that happened through his life and ministry and his death and burial and resurrection and ascension so that I know that I'm defended because when I place my faith in him, he defends me. We'll get to that in here in a little bit. Because Jesus understands. Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus knows the temptations. Not just the, the temptations to sin, the temptations to doubt the temptations to despair, the temptations to wonder and to question and to wrestle with who God is, who his father is, with what he's supposed to do with his life. God knows. God knows. Because this, as it says in Hebrews 4, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, the temptations, the trials, the questions, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are as well, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Now, just to catch you up, as we've been talking about the baptism and the voice and the genealogy, um, this is what it's talking about. is setting up that, that Jesus' legacy, identity, and destiny, like we talked about last week. Um, that the, the baptism, the voice from heaven, is reminding us of who Jesus is, his legacy, that he's from the house of David. He's a, a, a Davidic mess, uh, Messiah, that he is the one that will deliver God's people and uh, those who believe in him who, from Gentiles, not, you know, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well who he is, his identity, that he is indeed the beloved son whom the father, the voice from heaven, is well pleased in. And also his destiny or his mission, God's mission for Jesus, that he is supposed to be and will be the suffering servant who dies a brutal murder, murderous death on a cross, sheds his blood, his body is broken for us so that we would place our faith in him so that because as he was resurrected, that we also will be resurrected with him uh, one day. That even though we die, we will live with him forever. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go, go ahead and grab them. And we'll turn, I'll get there in just a moment, uh, turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4 here this morning. But I want to ask the question, how does Jesus' temptation fulfill 
his destiny. How does this whole temptation narrative fulfill who Jesus is supposed to be, what he's supposed to do? Uh, I want you to, to, to hear some certain things as we're going along here, that, uh, that Jesus is the new and better Adam, that Jesus is the new and better Israel. Those are two things that we'll be reading about here this morning as we, as we take, take all this into account. Um, because Jesus' lineage, if you look back last week at the genealogy, goes all the way back to Adam, whereas Matthew's only goes back to Abraham. So this is, is telling us that Jesus is a new and better Adam. That's why he sets, sets this up, the temptation of Jesus, with his, you know, his identity, his legacy, which is the genealogy all the way back to Adam, uh, which we'll talk about here in, in a sec. Um, but understanding that Jesus succeeds in all of these things, where Adam and Eve failed, and where Israel failed. Listen for the for this theme uh, for these themes throughout. So everyone, let's let's stand as we read the Word of God here this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter four, verses one through thirteen. <clears throat> and if you want to pick up a, a translation that I'm using, um, I'm using what's called the CSB. This is called the Christian Standard Bible. Um, it's a great translation um, that I that I uh, that I'm using as well. So we'll try to get some some of those in, into the the chairs as well. So. Chapter four, Luke chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil, the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. <laughs> no kidding. The, the devil said to him, if you, are the son of man, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you the splendor, their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to whoever I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem and and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you. And they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is written, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. God, we pray that you would open up your word to us here this morning that we may understand you, that we, we may know you, Lord, that we may feel what you want us to feel and to know and to understand and, and to obey, to follow you, Lord, in where you are leading us through your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at this account of the temptation of Jesus, we see that, that Satan all... Um, always tempts with a question. Think about that. All the way back to Adam and Eve, Satan tempts Eve with a question. Did God really say? Or questioning, like, like you know, Satan's first words, if you are the son of God. Oh, if, 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 if. That's, that's not a 
you know, oh, if your name is really Alan, you know, that's just a statement. That's, it's a questioning. He's questioning Jesus's identity. He's questioning his legacy, his identity, his destiny. He's using these questions as distractions, distracting questions to get Jesus to question where he's coming, where he's coming from, who he is, whose he is, and where he's going. You know, did God really say, well, if you are the son of God, he questions and calls into doubt the deity of Jesus and his destiny. Satan uses Jesus, uses Jesus um, these things to tempt him, uh, to distract him from his true purpose. Well, if, well, then prove it. It, it reminds me of, this, of the famous scene you know, from the Christmas story. A Christmas story where the kid's like, oh, it won't, it won't freeze. My tongue won't freeze to the pole. Well, I dare you. No. I, it's like, okay, I really didn't know that it will happen. No, I won't. I, I double dog dare you. Like, no, no. I triple dog dare you. Oh, he went for the big mamma jamma. Triple dog dare. Or like the or the famous scenes from you know Back to the Future. This might be aging me a little bit, uh, but where he's like chicken, and Marty's got to you know I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go um, skateboard this. I'm not going to fight you, Biff. Chicken, what are you, are you yellow? As if you have something to prove by yeah. prove it. This is basically you know Jesus is like. I'm not going to fight you, Satan. He's like, chicken, prove it. But what is Satan doing here? He's saying to Jesus, and all these temptations, let's break down here in a second. He's saying to Jesus, you don't need your father. You don't need God. You're better off. You're better off without him. Now look at me. Like this, one of my favorite, I, I totally forgot to put the picture in. Man, there's like one of the, the same scenes from Mr. Deeds where this like these two, these two kids get uh, these like you know, tens of thousands of dollars. They're like, what are you going to do with your money? I'm going to drop out of school. And it's like a homeless guy over by a tree. He's like, school is for fools. Look at me. <laughs> Satan's like, look at me. Don't, you don't, you don't need God. Look, look at me. Don't look at me. Like, look at all the things that I want to give you. Look at all this stuff. It, don't look over there. Look over here. So let's break down these three temptations. The first one, the bread, is a call into question God's provision. Saying, you know, be self-reliant. Don't, re- don't rely on, on, the bread, you know, on, uh, on the bread of life from God. Because it's ironic that a couple things. First, that Jesus' lineage goes all the way back to Bethlehem. The, the line and lineage of, 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 remember, David, King David, which is the city of Bethlehem. And, the, and the, the word Bethlehem, the name, means house of bread. So the, the bread of life, Jesus later says in John, I am the bread of life. As your forefathers questioned God in the wilderness, and he sent the manna, the bread that you ate in the wilderness, 
I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. So the, the bread of life comes from the bread of heaven is being tempted to create bread so that he doesn't have to rely on God's and his provision. Have we ever been tempted to, to question God's provision for our lives? Yeah. All the time. Well, well God, okay, God's calling me to do this or that. Will the money really be there? I need, to, I, th- I need to take things into my own hands. I need to take matters into my own, own hands. I need to work myself to death with all this money to, you know, to earn. A ba- it is Bozeman, Belgrade, after all. I mean, it's, it's really expensive to live here. So it's, it's tempting to, <laughs> to just work a full-time job and just work yourself to the bones and work yourself to death. Because you can. Because honestly, it's what you know, the you know, is, is telling us is required of us. But how do we get through that? How do we rely on God and his provision for us and not feel tempted, like we were talking about last week, to overdo it, to shut our family out because we're just working all the time, to not give our church family the time of day because, oh, I'm really busy. If I've got time for church, then I might fill in the blank. Do we trust God for his provision that we don't have to work ourselves to death and still be able to love one another in the church and still be able to love our families and serve and love our families and take care of one another? Jesus succeeded where Adam failed in this. God was like, You're, I've got everything. I've, I've given you an entire garden to pick from all these beautiful fruits. Look at those bananas. Oh, apples, oranges. Check these out. These are pineapples. These will hurt you and taste good at the same time. All these, I'm giving you all this stuff. Just don't eat from that one. But what did they do? They trusted in the wrong voice. And they went and ate the fruit. So Jesus came and he didn't act in unbelief. He believed that God would sustain him. Like he even says, says later when he's you know, talking to his disciples after he talked to the woman at the well in Samaria. They're like, oh, here you go. Here's some food. He's like, oh, I'm good. I'm full. I have some food you don't know about. They're like, did anyone give him bread that I don't know of? He's like, no, like doing the will of his father was his bread. Doing the will of God was his sustenance. He succeeded where Adam and Eve fell. Adam ate the fruit. Jesus did not eat the rocks that would have hurt his teeth. Number two, the glory. The glory of the nations. This is questioning, you know, Satan is is questioning God's call on Jesus. This is Satan, you know, getting Jesus to question his calling. You know, the glory of the nations of the world. I mean, this was Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission was to win the nations, was to save the nations, was to make his glory known to all the world, Jews and Gentiles. I kind of always, there's a, there's a video, a movie series called The Bible back a few years back that did, like it was a mini series about 10 episodes where they did the entire Bible. 
And I loved how they presented this because it was like Satan was showing him all these things, all the nations, and not just like at the time, you know, like China and in Rome and all these things, but like showing him into the future, showing him America in the 21st century. And he's like seeing hustle and bustle in New York and LA, walking around the earth. And he's like, I will give you all this. I will give you the White House and Congress if you'll just come and bow and worship me. This was questioning Jesus' mission to accomplish it in a way that didn't glorify his actual calling, God's calling on his life. So it's not even doing what Satan wants you to do. It's doing what you're called to do, but in in a distorted way, in the wrong way. This is what's called doing the wrong thing for the right reasons, right? Well, if you do the right, the, the wrong thing for the right reasons, it's still wrong. Doing it God's way. He's like, you don't have to suffer to accomplish your purpose. Just compromise on the how a little bit. You know, follow my strategy. Follow my method. Follow my way. Instead of being the way, follow my way. Follow the world system, not God's. But it's interesting like, to, see, to sense like, where is this temptation arise later in Jesus' life? Well, every time you know, the, he kind of appears to be the Messiah or, is, or these demons are calling out him to be the Messiah, people are like, oh, Messiah? You're going to be our king? And what does it say after Jesus had, had, done all, had uh, fed the 5,000 people? What did they try to do? They tried to grab him and make him king by force. The world tried to make him their kind of Messiah king, that you know, this militaristic political leader that would win them victory over the Romans. So this, was that, this is that temptation that Jesus is kind of getting training for. It's like working out, working out the temptation muscles so that he can endure it later as well. And then the third thing, the third temptation, questioning God's assurance. Asking him, Will God really rescue you? Is God really a loving father? Will God really follow through? That All that supernatural stuff you've been talking about, is that really real? Is the spirit really real? Is spiritual gifts really real? Are miracles truly real? All this stuff that's in this book that has happened for thousands of years, did, did that really happen? Did Moses really cross the, you know, divide the Red Sea? Were there really 10 plagues? Were these miracles actually real things? Because you, know, you, should, test, you should test it out. Even quote scripture. You know, what do they say? Psalm 91, no harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. For he will give, you, give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. This is a great messianic deliverance. I mean, we've, we've been you know, hearing this quoted throughout this, pan, you know, this pandemic for the last almost year. This endurance. But not understanding that it's talking about Jesus. This is true. This is all true. About Jesus, about the Messiah. But he's using it to question God's love for him as the Messiah. Put these things to the test. Test them out. Check them out. 
what he's actually calling Jesus to do is to doubt. Was to doubt God, put him to the test, to make God prove himself according to his standards. We don't do that. We were, watching, we were even watching Ferdinand last night, the, the new Disney movie. And you know, the Ferdinand is debating whether or not to go to the flower festival or to stay home. Because Ferdinand, if you read the book, this old children's book, uh, you know, this, this bull loves to smell flowers. He's so weird. Um, and so in the movie, he's like, all oh, he's like testing. He's like, if this, if I'm still, if I count to three and that apple hasn't fallen, you know, that orange hasn't fallen from the tree, um, then I'm going to go. He's like, one, two, boom. and like, he did it like three or four different times and like cheats at the end. He's like, all right, I'm going. But it's like looking for a sign according to what we want it to be. It's like my kids are right now in the eeny, meeny, miny, mo phase. But essentially, like, they get down to, the, down to the end and, like, they have the two things. And they realize now in their mind, okay, which one do I actually want? So eeny, meeny, mean, miny, mo, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. It's like kind of leaning it toward their favor. How often do we, like, we ask God for a sign? We ask for God for, for wisdom, for guidance, and then gives us the wrong answer, according to us. We're like, oh, no, I'm good. Or, oh, and I, just, I, I heard this, Lord Jesus. Oh, yes, I'm going to go this way. Or you ask for wisdom and like four different people like come and tell you one thing and you're like, eh, over here. God sends people to speak to us for him oftentimes. And so this is, is Jesus being tempted by Satan to doubt who God really is. Are you really God's beloved? You should put that to the test. You should make God prove himself to you. If you're really the son of God, exploit it. Like Bruce Almighty. Well, I mean, what would you do if you were endowed with God's powers? I mean, think about that. I mean, that's one of the things I think would be, was, you know, the, this movie, Bruce Almighty. Man, I've quoted so many movies this morning. <laughs> that shirt is definitely, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Eatons. <laughs> they bought me a shirt that says, I, I speak fluent movie quotes. I wear it often. <laughs> it's one of my favorite shirts now. But I mean, Bruce Almighty, where he, like God basically, endow, you know, Morgan Freeman, you know, endows him with all of his powers as God. And like, what does he do with it? He exploits it. Wins the lottery, does this, does that. You know, becomes super powerful. You know, one of the best scenes where he messes up his competition, you know, news anchor that took his place. And, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So he, he gets kicked off and fired and he becomes the main you know, news anchor in his place. He, he works the system. He exploits the gifts of God. That's what Satan is tempting Jesus to do. Go and win your power. Go and do these things. But as we see, Jesus succeeds in the three areas where Israel failed in the wilderness. kept grumbling for God's provision because they were self-focused. They're focused on me and my wants and my needs. I need bread, God. You're not good. You're not faithful. You're not providing these things. And so I'm going to say to you. And then God provides to, to show them, no, no I'm, I really do. I'm really here. But imagine how that could have gone better. 
instead of them saying, oh, God brought us out here to kill us. And why not just kill us in Egypt with the rest of the, with the Egyptians? Versus what they could have said is, Moses, we believe that God has delivered us. Would you ask him for sustenance? Because he knows our needs. He knows that we are hungry. He knows that he's brought us out here for a reason. And so we want to, to be his people and to abide by him. So we, and we are trusting him to provide. Imagine how that could have gone instead of them grumbling for it. They danced with idolatry. You know, the golden calf, you know, Moses came down from the, from the mountain with the Ten Commandments and the whole law with him. And he saw the, two, you know, he saw the golden calf. They had turned from Yahweh and served the idols that they created. I understood this. You create something and then you worship it? As if it's better than you? But they were looking, looking at and, and, and focused on self-gratification. They could see this idol. They couldn't see the God that they were worshiping. They were before this great mountain that was you know, shrouded with God's power and glory. And God was speaking to them. And they're like, ah! We don't want to hear it. And they made God operate according to their MO, according to their wants, their needs. And they, put, and they continually put God to the test. Prove yourself, God. Prove it. If you're, if you're here, you brought us out of Egypt to make us your people, prove it. If you're really a good God, prove it. If you're more powerful than the Egyptian gods, even though we saw all the plagues on them and not us, prove it. It's like God approved it over and over and over again. I love you. You're my people. I don't believe it. It's like toddlers. I'm in that phase. Everything's toddlers because I have toddlers. I understand this. I've proved over and over again. We went to donuts yesterday morning. <laughs> and they still question my love for them when I turn the TV off at night. <laughs> when I'm done watching a movie. I want to watch the next one. No, it's, it's 10 o'clock. It's bedtime. No! I love you. Jesus is the new and better Israel. God is the new and better Adam. You know, Israel failed all the tests. Seems like every test they failed it. Jesus passed the tests. Israel was tested as God's son. Israel is it was the name that Jacob took on later on in life and became the people of God. Israel. And Jesus took on that role as God's son. Israel was, this, was a disobedient son, but Jesus perfectly obeyed and accomplished his father's will. Why? Why? Why all this? Why the temptation? Why all this, this, this tests and things for Jesus? Because he would become the perfect sacrifice for us. So that Anyone who believes in this beloved son will not be lost, will not perish, but will have eternal life. That whoever has this son, has Jesus, has the beloved son, has life, will have life. And anyone who the son sets free will be truly free. Now, 
This is the power of Ephesians 2 and 3. So I want to read here. Listen to these words. This is who you are. If you believe in Jesus Christ, this is who you are and the reality, the spiritual reality of your life now and forevermore. This is Ephesians chapter 2, if I can get to it. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Here they are. My two favorite words in scripture. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the, heaven, in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do, to walk in. And this is 3.14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell, may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the height and the breadth and the depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. This is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the essence of our faith. This is the essence of why Jesus was tempted so that we would be perfected. So that we, when tempted, would be empowered with his spirit would be defended because God descended to let us know that we're not alone, that he is with us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he sends his Holy Spirit within us, bubbling in our life. And so when we're, whenever we're tempted to, to sin, to despair, to doubt, or to question, just like Satan is tempting Jesus here, we know that we can stand firm in our faith and say, Satan, go back to hell. Take all that garbage and you, you shove it, you know where. Because I belong to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I am his. His blood has covered me. And I am raised to the newness of life in him. 
and stand in that power. Stand in this identity. This is who you are. This is whose you are. This is your mission. This is your calling. This is your joy. And when you're focused on your joy, nothing else matters. That's why Jesus was so powerful in this moment, filled with the Holy Spirit. As I said three times, he was, you know, the Holy Spirit drove him, you know, you know, brought him to the wilderness. He was in the wilderness with Jesus and the Spirit led him out of the wilderness. Walking by the Spirit, walking by faith, knowing who he is and his calling, his purpose, his value. And when you stand in that, nothing else matters. I've used this illustration before, but I love it. Don't think about a pink elephant. What do you think of? Pink elephant. No. But if I say, think of a glorious and majestic lion with a flowing mane, and every hoofprint shakes the earth. His breath is sweet to, the, to our smell. And his voice is a rumble of joy a rumble of comfort. Are you thinking about a darn pink elephant? Focus on who you are, on whose you are, and what God has called you to be. Now, what do we do with this? What do we do with all this stuff? You ever been on, on in the conversations that I've heard on social media, like, you know, influencers? I want to be an influencer. You know, influencer is just simply someone, you know, who has a, a large following on, on Instagram or social media, Twitter. You know, they're an influencer because a lot of people follow them. They influence a lot of people by, you know, by their posts. And uh, so I want to beg the question who do you allow? in your life to influence you, to inspire you. What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on the glorious lion? Or are you focusing on the pink elephant? Are you focusing on people who tell you about the pink elephant all the time? Or are you focusing your attention on people who tell you about the lion? What voices are you letting into your life to influence you? I just want to say this. I I am... Just thinking about it, man, I am so humbled that you've allowed me to be an influence in your life, influence in your, in your life. Well, you know, whether you're, you're here or, you know, watching it on, online or watching throughout the week, watching the Coffee Was With Alan, the, you know, following my posts on social media, I, I am humbled that you would allow me to be an influencer in your life. Um, and I try, and I, I want to take that seriously. Um, and I do take that. I take that very seriously. Um, and so, and this is like, how are we teaching temptation? How do I teach temptation in, in the church? How do I teach temptation to people? Because it's, it's interesting, you know, the two dynamics. You know, because teaching temptation in a grace culture like we have here at Shift Church is way different than teaching temptation in a religious culture. We've been in the religious cultures or basically they, they slam you all the time for, for your sin. You should feel bad. You did bad things, you should feel bad because you're bad. Versus remind, you're the pink elephant. And you should always you know, fight the pink elephant. Focus on the pink elephant so you, don't be, so you don't serve the pink elephant. 
but you just then live your lives trying to avoid the pink elephant, but all you're thinking about is the pink elephant. Versus how do we live our lives in a grace culture where we're focusing on who we are, on, on the glorious lion who is God, glorious lion who is our Savior, Jesus Christ, and encouraging us, each other all the time, pointing each other to the lion, pointing to the lion. Okay, stop focusing on that. Over here. Look at the lion. Look at the lion. That's who you are. That's whose you are. You belong to God. This is who you are. And this is where, this is what we do. The first thing we do is discover who you are. Discover your identity. This is followers of Jesus or you're not. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the realization to discover that you need God. All of us need God. All of us have a desperate need for God. That he is the ultimate influencer. Is God the ultimate influencer in your life? And do you surround yourself with people that point you, that influence you back to God? Your life is better with him, following him. And look to, you know, look to Jesus. So we're saying, look to, look, to, look to God. You know, look to Jesus, look to the apostles, look to the early church. Like I was talking about, like, as an influencer myself, like, look to, as Paul said, you know, 1 Corinthians 4.16, you know, look, look to the lives of people that you admire. Look to the lives of the people that you follow and imitate their life. Imitate the lives of those who are pointing you back to the Lord. Follow, discover your purpose. Discovering, like we talked about last week, your legacy, your identity, your destiny in Christ. All these things in Christ. What is your legacy, your identity, and your destiny in Christ and who he's called you to be and what he's called you to do? And then draw. Draw close, draw near, draw up. Focus, draw your attention, draw your life toward focus, perspective, getting his perspective, preparation for the mission, preparation for your life, protection from the leeches, protections from the temptations, and, and, and drawing yourself close to God for warfare. Because that is how we fight the spiritual battle. As one of our values here at Shift Church is readiness for spiritual warfare. Being ready for it and ready to fight it with the sword of, of the Spirit, the Word of God, with prayer, putting on the full armor. And everything that is the armor of God is all about salvation. It's, all, it's just different words for the same thing. It's the different words for the gospel, hope, salvation, love, joy. The word, the spirit. Remind yourself that when I'm tempted, I need to remember God descended and I'm defended. God descended. This whole thing, the gospel really happened and it's truly real. I don't have to test God to prove himself. I believe it. Because think about that. How, how do you think Jesus was spending his time in the wilderness when he was being tempted? He's praying. He's there for 40 days, not eating. What else is he going to be doing? 
He was praying, spending time with his father. He was focusing his perspective. He was preparing for his mission. And he was filled with with God's word for protection against the enemy. His lies, his distortions and distractions, his schemes and power because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, therefore, we, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, he descended, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. You know, the Apostles' Creed is a great example of this. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, our temptations, our doubts, but one who has been tempted in every way, as we are, yet without sin. Here it is. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. I love that image. Not like cowering, but entering in because I belong here. This is my rightful place. I'm not only allowed, I'm wanted. so that I may find grace to help me in time of need. Because when I'm tempted, I remember God descended. I'm defended. He fights for me. He loves me. And like my favorite quote from Luther, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. Where he is, I will be also. Let those words guide and guard everything that you think, everything that you are, and everything that you do. Stand firm in your faith. Hold fast to your confession, and enter into the throne room of grace with boldness. Because it's where where you belong. It's where you are wanted. Because it's your rightful place. So focus on the lamb. I'm sorry. Focus on the lamb and the lion. Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We pray that you would empower us with your boldness to speak the truth, to stand upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, to stand firm in our faith, to hold fast to our confession. Remind us of who you are, Lord. Remind us of who we are. Remind us of whose we are. Remind us of of your calling for us. Reveal your calling to us. And Lord, if there's anyone that is listening to these words that doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, and hasn't professed yet faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that this would be the time. This would be the time that they would reach out and to profess faith in you, Jesus Christ, and be baptized and join your people, the church. Join your kingdom. And most of all, Lord, most importantly, to join you being in you, Christ. Joining you in your baptism and your resurrection, Lord. Pray that you would empower us, Lord, for your, for your mission for us, for your calling on our lives, that you would indeed protect us and 
that we, that, we, that we may discover our identity and draw close to you, draw near to you, Lord, every day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.